Welcome everybody to Easter at Cedar Creek. Now I know you're thinking, wait a minute, Philip. Easter, it's way too early. It's like five weeks away. You, you've jumped the gun here. And yes, I get that. And no, I'm not suffering from a case of calendar confusion. I just believe that if we can spend a whole month celebrating Jesus' birth, then we can spend more than just a week celebrating his resurrection, right? Yeah, and that's exactly what we're gonna do. Over the next five weeks here at Cedar Creek, across all of our campuses, we're gonna spend our time preparing for, focusing on, and celebrating the hope of the resurrection. And I don't know about you, but it feels like hope is something we could all use a little bit more of right now, right? Not only in our individual lives and and our individual struggles, but we could certainly use a little hope for this world we live in. It, It doesn't take long to turn on the news or scroll through your news feed and recognize that hope is in short supply. But as Christ followers, we are a people of hope. And we carry a message of hope to the hopeless hurting people all around us. That's why I love these words of the Apostle Paul from Romans 15, 13. Notice what he says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Why? so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's no better time than Easter to allow our hope to overflow. So over the next five weeks, we're gonna do four things to allow our hope to overflow. One is we're gonna teach through a series of messages focused on the five amazing invitations that Jesus offers to every one of us. He offers us to to come and see, to come and follow. He calls us to come and die, which on the surface doesn't seem like a, a great invitation to come and die, but when we discover it's a call to come and die to the empty brokenness of living for our own purposes. And then he invites us to come and feast, to come to his table and enjoy his presence and his blessings. And then finally, he invites us to come and live, to truly live. And so we're going to teach through those invitations over the next five weeks. And then on Palm Sunday, the second thing we're doing, on Palm Sunday morning at all of our campuses, we're going to gather at all of our services to celebrate the Lord's Supper through the powerful symbols of the broken bread and the cup, be reminded not just of Jesus' sacrifice and the ultimate expression of his love for us, but we are going to celebrate looking forward to the hope of his return. And then five days later on Good Friday, which is April 15th, which is an easy date to remember if you pay taxes, on Good Friday, April 15th, we're gonna gather with churches all across our community here at our Banks Mill campus for a special night of 
worship. Some of you may remember two years ago, back in 2019, when we gathered for that night for Jesus with believers all across our community to focus on Jesus, to lift up his name in praise. And we haven't been able to do that for two years, but it's back, baby, night for Jesus. We're gonna worship with believers all across our community. And then two days later is Resurrection Sunday. And we're gonna get together, church family, not just us, but with friends and people we invite, and we're gonna celebrate the hope of the resurrection. I can't wait to be a part of all of these things, and I hope that you will be willing to be a part of all of this Easter season celebration. And so what I want to do today is just kind of kick off this series by focusing on Jesus' initial invitation to every person on the planet, and it's simply this, to come and see. Jesus invites us wherever we are, wherever our journey is taking us, whatever we believe or don't believe, he invites all of us to simply come and see. See, sometimes we get this idea that Jesus demands our complete belief and our total obedience in him in order to get closer to him. But in fact, it's actually the opposite. He invites us to get close to him no matter where we are because he knows the closer we get to him, the more we will believe in him and the more obedient we will be to him. There's a great picture of this invitation that takes place at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. As Jesus is getting ready to go public with his ministry, he begins to gather his first followers, his first disciples. And you can read this in John's gospel, the first chapter. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, feel free to turn or click there. If not, you've got all the key verses on your program there. But this begins at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, this is interesting. As Jesus is just starting out, in his ministry, his cousin, John the Baptist, is peaking in his ministry. John the Baptist has started to gather a huge number of followers. Thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people have been traveling out into the desert to hear John the Baptist preach a message of repentance and to take a next step in that repentance through baptism. They're coming in droves. And man, he is at the peak. He is the hottest ministry in town. Man, his Instagram followers are everywhere. He's getting a lot of play on Facebook. And as his ministry is peaking, Jesus is just starting out. But what is interesting is that every time John the Baptist encounters Jesus, he always defers and deflects to Jesus, right? Even though he's got all of these followers and John's got all these group of great disciples who are committed to him and Jesus has got nobody, he's, he's virtually unknown, but John always defers to Jesus. In fact, when Jesus showed up and asked John to baptize him, John's like, no, you should baptize me. And Jesus said, no, we need to do this in the right way to set a right example. Several times, John would see Jesus passing by and he would say, look, look the, the lamb of God whose, whose sandal laces 
I'm not even worthy to unlace. Think about that. He's, he's got a huge ministry, right? Jesus is a nobody from nowhere, and yet John says, I'm not even worthy enough to unlace his sandals. One day Jesus was passing by and John was with a couple of his followers and he said again, a second time, behold, the Lamb of God. And this time, two of John the Baptist's disciples decided to go and check out this guy that their rabbi, their hero, the guy they knew was from God, was pointing to and saying, that's who's got it going on. And the two disciples that, that decided to walk away from John and go check out Jesus were a guy, was a guy by the name of Andrew. And while the text doesn't tell us who the other disciple of John the Baptist was, most people assume it is John, the one who wrote this gospel because he knows all of the details of what happens. And so they go and they begin to walk behind Jesus. And I think they gotta be a little intimidated, right? Because John the Baptist is huge, and yet John the Baptist says, that's the man. He must increase. I must decrease. The Lamb of God. So I'm sure they're a little nervous, like, how do you approach someone that your great leader has said is even greater? And while they're walking behind Jesus, Jesus, I guess, hears him, and he turns around. He's like, hey, guys, what do y'all want? And I guess in panic, they were like, oh, where are you staying? Where do you live? And Jesus says to them, come and see. And they go, they spend the whole day with Jesus. And when they finally leave and go back into the village where they live, Andrew immediately goes to his brother, Simon, their fishing partners in this business together. He says, Simon, you got to come see this guy. We have found the Messiah. And so, um, Andrew brings Simon, his brother, to Jesus. And when, when he gets to Jesus, Jesus says, look, I know everybody calls you Simon, but I'm gonna call you the rock, Peter, because you're gonna be my rock. Now think about it, Peter's done nothing, right? And yet Jesus says, come on, man, come and see. Get close to me. The next day, Jesus starts to get ready to take his little band and leave Galilee, his home region, and head out on the road, take his ministry on the road. But before he does, he goes and he finds a guy by the name of Philip. And he says, Philip, come on, come see, come with us. And Philip said, that's great, but I gotta go tell my man, Nate. And so he goes and finds his best friend, Nathaniel, and he says, we found him, right? The one Moses wrote about. We found the one that the prophets wrote about. He is Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And you know what Philip says? Come and see come and see. And he doesn't. And as Nathaniel is approaching Jesus, Jesus sees him coming and says, here comes the man. This, is the, this dude is the real deal. He is a true Israelite. There is nothing false in him. And Nate's like, dude, you don't even know me. How can you say that about me? And Jesus said, I saw you when you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathaniel says, whoa, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, you, you believe because I said I saw you under a fig tree? Dude, you're gonna see greater things than these. You're gonna be amazed what it's like to spend time and be in a relationship with me. 
but you got to come and see. And as we unpack and dig a little deeper and drill down into these encounters, what it shows for us is three ways that we can accept Jesus' invitation to come and see. Three ways to come and see Jesus. Number one, you have to be willing to examine the evidence. You got to be willing to examine the evidence. Jesus' invitation to come and see is a personal invitation for you to see for yourself who he is. To not just go by what your mom and daddy told you about Jesus. To not just go by what some pastor or maybe some professor in college told you about Jesus. To see for yourself. Two great examples of this in this passage, right? First, with with Andrew and John. Why did they pursue Jesus? Because their rabbi, John the Baptist, said he is the one. And yet Jesus didn't demand that they confess him as Messiah and obey him immediately. He didn't say, well, if John told you that's who I am, you just need to show up with faith in hand. No. Look at what he says to him, verse 39. Come, he replied, and you will see. The the second example of this is uh, Philip with Nathaniel, right? Philip says, come and see, we found the Messiah. He is Jesus of Nazareth. And notice Nathaniel's response, verse 46. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Now, Paul's right there. We always read that as just a knock on the village of Nazareth. Like that, that's like, you know, some podunk place. Can anything good come out of that? And maybe that's what Nathaniel's saying. But maybe for him, it's a legitimate question about who Jesus really is, right? Because Nathaniel is a Jew, a very devout Jew. And as a devout first century Jew, he would have known the prophecies of the Old Testament. He would have known that Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, that, right? He was to be of the line of David. So, so maybe it's a legit question about who Jesus really is. And Philip's reply to him is, look, we don't ask questions here. And Philip doesn't go into this long explanation about how Jesus was from Bethlehem. We don't even know if Philip knows that. He just simply says, come and see, right? Just check it out, Philip said, for yourself. That's what it means to come and see. Examine the evidence for yourself. You say, well, that was great for these guys, but how do we do that, right? It's not like we can go hang out at the campground with Jesus. It's not like we can spend a couple of years to make sure he's the the real deal that his private life and his public life line up. How can we do that? Well, because these guys did do that, And then they took the time to write down their eyewitness story. We can examine the evidence through the gospels themselves, their writings. And I know you think, well, how do we know what they wrote is true? How do we know that all these things actually happened? How How do we know that they didn't just make this up after Jesus died to try to keep something going? That's a legitimate question to ask. That's what it means to examine the evidence. 
And there's a couple of ways we can know that the gospels are true. One is just the way these guys wrote. It's very clear when you read the gospels that the writers intended for it to be an eyewitness testimony. They use words and details so that it would stand up in a court of law. It's obvious they were not writing this as a work of fiction. This is so interesting. Modern fiction uses a lot of details, right? You, you read a novel, there's always these detailed descriptions and times and all of that stuff. That's modern fiction. That never occurred in ancient fiction. Ancient fiction never uses details, right? Like you don't read, you know, Oedipus went to see the oracle and the oracle came out about four o'clock in the afternoon, right? You know, there's no details and yet the gospels are full of details at this time, at this point. Why? Because they were written as eyewitness testimonies. And secondly, not only did they write it, wanting it to be perceived as true and then send it out, But if this was a lie, if they made all this up or embellished the story, they were all willing to die to protect that lie. And then over and above that, they lived, these peasant fishermen and tax collectors, these peasants from nowhere, somehow lived a life with such power and influence that it would transform the entire pagan Roman Empire, right? That's why if, if you really examine the evidence, if you really read the gospels the way they are meant to be read, you can only come to one of two conclusions. There's no middle ground here. Either you must be convinced that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he did, or you have to believe that these guys made up these lies, sent these lies out, and then were willing to die rather than recount those lies, right? Either one's hard to believe, Right? It's hard to believe that the God of the universe wrapped himself in flesh and came and died and rose again just for us. It's also hard to believe that you know these guys would make this up and then die to protect that lie. Either way, that's why I say you, there's only two conclusions. There's no middle ground. This idea that Jesus was just a good moral teacher who lived a life expressing love and that changed the world, that, that, that is... It's not intellectually honest to come to that conclusion, right? As Josh McDowell said in his book years ago, more than a carpenter, Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or he is Lord. There's no middle ground. And if you haven't come to one of those two conclusions, you haven't examined the evidence. So I wanna invite you to do that. There's a great resource, a great tool It's a book by a former journalist, atheist, now turned Christ follower called A Case for Christ. It's written by Lee Strobel. And I want to encourage you, there are links being uh, posted online. There's a QR code on your printed outline. I would encourage you to get that book. It's his investigation. It's his story of examining the evidence. And as a great writer, he brings you along on that. This is a great tool for you to examine the evidence. Here's why this is so important, that you own this who Jesus really is for yourself. 
Because it's hard to have hope in something that you were just told by your mom and daddy. It's hard to hold on to hope in the painful difficulties of life if you're just going by what your favorite preacher told you about Jesus. But if you can own this hope for yourself, you can survive the pain and the struggles and the difficulty of life. To come and see means to come and examine the evidence. But it doesn't stop there. There's a second thing we have to do, and that's be willing to take a next step. To be willing to take a next step. See, it's not just about believing in Jesus, that that he is who he says he is. It's allowing that belief to move you to action, right? Half of come and see is to come, right? That indicates movement. That indicates a change in what you're doing now, right? So when John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God, notice what happens, verse 37. When the two disciples heard him, heard John the Baptist say this, they followed Jesus. They moved, they took a step, they made a change, right? Interestingly, This is not the first time they had heard John the Baptist say that about Jesus. In fact, just the day before, the very day before, Jesus walked by again. And John said, behold the Lamb of God. And then he went on to tell them about what happened when he baptized Jesus. He told them about the dove descending and the voice of God saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, follow him. He told them that whole story. That was the day before. They were like, that's nice. That's awesome. Yay, Jesus. But that's all they did. It wasn't until the second time, right? We assume that if John the Baptist said, that's the Messiah, these guys believed it. They believed it the day before, right? They were followers of John. They, They knew John the Baptist was from God. They believed it, but it wasn't until now that they actually did something about it. You know, next week, we're gonna dig down into what it means to follow Jesus. But just on the surface level, understand to come and see means I gotta make some changes in my life. In fact, notice when when they get to Jesus and he says, come and see, look at what they do. Verse 39 says, so they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. So not just a a change in direction, but it changed how they spent their time, who they were with, what they were prioritizing in their life. Same is true for us. If we're gonna accept Jesus' invitation to come and see, we're gonna have to be willing to take some next steps. So what would that look like for you, just right now, where you are in your journey? What what would a next step be? Maybe for you it is to really examine the evidence for yourself. It's really to dig down and see, is Jesus really who he says he is, or is this just a made-up story? Maybe that's your next step. Maybe for you, your, your next step is you might need to change who you're following, who you're listening to. 
Maybe you need to change some of the relationships in your life. Maybe you're in a relationship that is keeping you from truly following Jesus, right? Or, or, or maybe you're being influenced by people who are not being intellectually honest or not challenging you to explore this for yourself. Or maybe it's not bad people. Maybe the people you're around are good people. Sometimes you just need to be around better people, right? For John and Andrew, hanging out with John the Baptist, not a bad thing to do, right? But they needed to move in a more positive, a more powerful direction. Maybe that's your next step. Or, or maybe your next step is to go public with your faith through new life baptism. See, here's the thing. We get baptism confused, right? We think baptism is graduation when in truth, baptism is initiation. It's just the beginning of the journey, right? When, when people are baptized, we don't demand that they express all these things they believe about Jesus and, and all this great faith that they have. There's only one expectation, that they, like these guys, say, he's the Messiah. Jesus is Lord. It's the beginning of the journey, not the end. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you've never publicly professed Jesus as Lord through baptism. Easter season, a great way to do it. In fact, on Easter Sunday morning at all of our campuses, at all of our services, we're gonna celebrate new life baptism. I can't think of a better time for you to be baptized. And so if that's a next step you wanna talk about or you wanna look at, you can check that on the card, click something online, do whatever you gotta do, talk to somebody at your campus, and maybe that's your next step. I don't know what your next step is, but I do know this. To come and see requires taking that step. And then finally, number three, maybe the most important one of all, to come and see, don't come alone. Don't come alone. Every person in this passage who came to see Jesus either goes with a friend or goes and gets a friend to bring with them. Did you notice that? Nobody comes to see Jesus alone, right? Not only do, do John and Andrew go to Jesus together, but then Andrew, the first thing he does is go and get his brother Simon. Notice verse 40, 41 and 42. It says, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. He didn't come alone. And then Philip, by the way, Philip is the only one in this passage who is alone. When Jesus calls him to come and see, he doesn't stay alone, right? Notice what he does, verse 45. It says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Don't come alone. Why is this such a big deal? Why is connecting with and walking with others so important to following Jesus? Here's why. Because if this is just a philosophy of life, then all you need is a really good teacher 
to teach you this philosophy, right? If following Jesus is just a, a philosophy to live, then just get a good book, a good mentor, a good teacher, find a great preacher on the internet and watch him and just develop a better philosophy. If that's all that it is, then a great teacher's all you need. But that's not what this is. This is about a relationship. And because our faith is a relational faith, we need others to process this journey with, and we need others to live out our faith among, right? That's why you've heard me say hundreds, hundreds of times here at Cedar Creek, there is no spiritual growth outside the context of relationships. Why do I say that? Because it's a relational faith. You can't practice it in isolation. You can't practice it in the ivory towers of religion. It's a street level life. And we do street level with each other. That's why you gotta bring others with you. You know, it's interesting in the early years of Cedar Creek, the first 10 or 15 years, probably 98, 99% of the people who came to our church for the first time came because a friend invited them, right? Somebody invited them. They never heard of Cedar Creek. They didn't know anything about it. But somebody said, hey, come and see. And they came. But what I've noticed over the last seven or eight, maybe 10 years is that the, as the church has gotten bigger and as social media has exploded, more and more we're seeing people who hear about this church outside of a friend telling them. And so they show up alone. And if that's you, we're thrilled you're here. We're, we glad, we're glad you chose to come alone, but we're saying don't stay alone. Don't just keep showing up, sitting in the sanctuary and then going home and you feel joy about the music and the message, but you got nobody to process it with. And all of a sudden you're like, I don't know how this really applies to me, right? Or, or maybe you just keep watching online alone and, and week in and week out, you're motivated, encouraged, and you're glad you connected online, but you got nobody to walk this out with you. Don't stay alone. And here at Cedar Creek, we got a fast track way for you to connect with some friends. Right? That's what our home groups are all about. An opportunity for you to connect and have some friends. Not who have all the answers and got their perfect life together. No, just a bunch of hurting, broken people who are willing to link arms and stumble to get closer to Jesus together. Don't do it alone. Now look, for those of you who are connected with friends here at Cedar Creek, don't keep it a secret. Reach out and invite others. Do what Andrew did. Do what Philip did. Say, man, you gotta come. You gotta meet this guy, Jesus. You gotta see what he's done in my life. And let me tell you something. No better time of the year to do this than the Easter season. More people in our communities are more open to an invitation to church during the Easter season than in any other time of the year. It's just kind of hard-baked into our culture, right? You go to church on Easter. Well, leverage that. Invite. And don't wait till the night before Easter to call and say, hey, you want to go to church with me? No. Start now. God, who do I need to invite? Who's my Nathaniel 
that's got some skeptical questions, right? right? Who's my business partner that I think really needs to meet this Jesus? People are open to an invitation, church. They're desperate for hope. If you found that hope, what are you gonna do about it? Don't come alone. Don't stay alone. That's what it means to come and see. And I wanna close with these last words of Jesus here on your outline. This is Jesus speaking to Nathaniel when Nathaniel was amazed that Jesus had seen him under the fig tree. And look at what Jesus says, verse 50. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than that. That is the hope of Easter season. There are greater things to come in your life, in our church, in this community, and all around the world. And Jesus simply says, come and see. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that we don't have to pass a test. We don't have to have an intact belief system. We don't have to have our lives all together to come to you. We just have to be willing to come and see, to be honest with ourselves, to take ownership of who we believe you are, not from what others have told us. That we just have to be willing to take a step to make one move closer towards you. And Jesus, I thank you that you don't force us to make this journey alone. In fact, you invite us to come together, to bring others with us and to be brought by others who love us and care for us. So Jesus, as we head in to this Easter season, may we be a people full of hope who overflow that hope to the hurting and the hopeless and the broken and the struggling all around us. Because we're all hurting and at times hopeless and we're all struggling in different areas. And you brought us the hope of the resurrection. Let us carry that message with us, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.